الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا تقربوا الزنا انه كان فاحشه وساء سبيلا سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Although yesterday we began the topic of upbringing and raising children but we left it at that initial phase how to raise your child during pregnancy and up to the age of 7 There are many many things that our deen and our mashayikh and our ulama have guided us about how to keep raising our children well from the age of 7 all the way up to 16 17 18 but that inshallah ta'ala may be a series of talks for some other time or some other place we are fast forwarding now to another issue which is very important that one can connect it to this because also in the raising of children This is the last and final thing and that is when the children boys and girls at 15 16 17 18 that Allah Taala naturally places in them certain feelings and emotions and thoughts and desires and one role of the parents is also to help them both the boys and girls not fall into any sin and not try to sinfully indulge these natural urges and desires so that is one way we can link today's topic with the notion of upbringing of children and generally speaking not just for children but for men and women in their 20s 30s 40s etc this is a universal ruling of deen and an increasingly widely prevalent problem in both men and women so first let's see what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in quran wala takrabu zina that don't even go near zina so really the feeling of this should be stay far away from it stay very very far away from anything that can invite you to it remind you about it entice you to it attract you to it why innahu kana fahisha because it is fahish fahisha it is fahish it's shameless you can say shameful rather it's shameful but the person who does it is shameless so sometimes we call it an act of shameless immodesty it's an act of shameful lewdness wasa'a sabila and if you go near it even not even if you do it if you go near it it will become a sabil for you sabil means it will become a way a path that you follow your personality will develop like that your lifestyle will develop like that your days and nights will be filled like that wasaa and it's so it's an evil path to follow so we learn many things from this incredible wonderful wisdom of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ahkam al-hakimin so it means that we have to keep the children but generally all people and tonight because we're uh, today because we're addressing the women so the women must know also this is a path so it means you can't flirt you can't flirt you can't indulge there's no indiscretion there's no okay doing something within the boundaries or within limits there are no boundaries there are no limits of acceptable shamelessness all shamelessness all fuhsh 
is absolutely prohibited and anywhere near it is also prohibited. So we can't even go near it. And if one ends up near it, one will end up on the path of it. Not just if you end up on the path to it, you will end up on the path along it and then you will be on the path upon it and that will be an evil path indeed. Now coming back to this issue of raising children, well one way this can be addressed is that the Sharia and Sunnah have a solution that the children should be married fairly young. Now there is no specific age one can come up with but one can say rather as early as reasonably possible. Now some cultures, societies might interpret that too soon. Like 14, 15, 16 would be too soon. For a woman, I would feel a girl between 18 and 20, a girl really should be ready to get married. And actually I can't explain that fully right now because we didn't fully show you the terbiyat from the way from 7 to 18. But just imagine if there is a certain process of raising children in Deen of Islam and if parents and society and educational institutions were to follow that process then one major aspect of that process is that between the ages of 18 to 20 that girl should be ready to be married. She would be mature enough, she would be serious enough, she would be capable enough to get married. One problem that we have is that because the educational system dumbs the children down and because that level of tarbiyah is not there from the parents. So today the girls at 18, 19, 20 feel and may in fact even truly be too immature to get married. However, they do feel mature enough to do zina. So this is one crisis of the tarbiyah process. That on the other hand, the fashion, culture, society of this fashion, miniskirts, pop stars, celebrities, actresses, makes the girl mature for zina early on but at the same time making her feel like she's a teenager and listening to that music and watching those TVs and the whole concept of high school culture makes her too immature to get married. This is the shaitanic deception to create a young person like that. Mature enough to do zina but too immature to get married. Allah Akbar Kabira. Then you have all this teenage promiscuity, teenage pregnancy, teenage this, teenage that. Hmm? So it should have been the other way around. It should have been the complete, the Islamic system is completely different. That don't let them mature in that way. So we don't educate children about these things in schools. We don't talk to them about these things. We don't let them see such programs or watch such movies or listen to music which talks all about romance and lust. We don't, they're not supposed to have any of that. So they don't mature so quickly. They don't read novels about that. They're supposed to stay, all this is haram. All of this falls under la taqrub zina. No discussion of that, no novels, movies, and the whole system of the West is completely the other way. Bring them akrab, akrab ila zina. It's completely opposite. And meanwhile, to be trained as an adult with so much tarbiyah, adab, akhlaq, so much Islamic learning and even fine schooling and education. So by the time she's 18, 19, 20, she's a mature individual. She's fully ready to get married. 
She's capable of running a household. She's capable of being a wife. She's capable of understanding a husband. She's capable of understanding in-laws. She's a mature woman by the ages of 18 to 20. But here's the other way. So they're so immature, so they tell no, I'm too scared. I don't want to get married. I don't know what it will be like. Because she wasn't raised properly. So again I repeat, the fitna of the society today is to raise the girl in such a way that she is prematurely able to do zina and she doesn't mature on time to get married. I said in other gathering, like our Hazrat Aliya frequently says, that if you make zina easy and you make nikah difficult, then the society will go astray. And if you make nikah easy and you make zina difficult, then the society and the person will remain on chastity, purity and modesty. So la taqrubu zina, don't let that aspect of them develop. Yes, there's a certain natural way it develops, but that doesn't mean you cater to that, you encourage that, they can talk about that, like what the West says, no, it's natural, they're teenagers, let them explore, let them this, no, 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 la taqrubu, none of that. None of that. Let them rather spend that time. What does the song say about youth? Let them rather spend that time. They're shabab. They're shabab. Let them rather spend that energy in ibadah, in zikr, memorizing Quran, studying ilm, learning things. Let them spend their time in that. Which is not different. In the, up till about 1900s, 1950s, the West also had that concept. I can't even say that word in this masjid. But the West went through a quote-unquote type of revolution. That's how they describe their own history. They say we went through a revolution in the 1960s. So before that, they also focused on grooming, training, finishing, education. But now, ever since this 1950s and 60s, it's a huge fitna. And it's just gone up and up and up. Every decade is worse than the previous one. Every decade is worse than the previous one. Now we're living in a time of Aqrabiyyat ila zina The easiest way to do zina Because of cell phone, internet, this, that It has never been easy as it is in this modern age To do zina Allah Akbar Kabira So better that the children were And for a boy And this is just a general rule of thumb These numbers can change But the boy should be raised with so much tibiyya That he could also get married between 18 and 20, or at least between 20, at most between 20 and 22. This concept of boys being 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and unmarried, this goes against the spirit of this ayah, la taqrabu ila zina. Because at some point then, there reaches a point, put it this way, in a young adult's life, that the only way one can do amal on this, the only way a person cannot come near to zina is by doing nikah. There's a point where they reach like that. And if you don't let them do nikah, then there's no other way other than for them to become kareeb to zina. They may not do outright zina, but they will do something kareeb to it. Because you, when they were prevented from doing nikah. That's why you can very rarely find some unmarried young Muslim boy or girl at age 23, 24, who has not done some type of sin, some type of reading something inappropriate, or watching something inappropriate, or something like that. 
Our Hazrati once said that the only one somebody will be able to save if they reach that age and they don't have nikah is if they're either mentally handicapped, they go crazy, or they're wiliya. The only way is either they get wilaya or they get deprived of their entire senses. Anyone between these two cases will not be able to save them from save themselves from sin. Illa mashallah, if they keep progressing in this way, that they're not allowed to do nikah, they're maturing in their feelings of zina, and they remain immature in other ways. Because the nafs is already calling oneself towards the sin. But shaitan is already calling oneself towards the sin. But then in this way, even their friends, their school friends will invite them to sin. Sometimes relatives, cousins invite them to sin. Sometimes it's strangers, non-mahrams who invite them to sin. Then radio, TV, music, songs, video, internet, cell phone, all of that is the fuel added to a fire that is already burning and blazing. So you can almost think it's like a gravitational force trying to pull a person towards zina. And especially for men and women both, but because today we're talking about women, so, talking to the women, the feeling that can save a person from this is called haya. It's called haya. Now Allah Ta'ala has blessed women with that also. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَّقْوَاهَا So rather than always talk about this, that no, these are natural desires, it's natural. Haya is also natural. Haya is also a feeling Allah Ta'ala gives the woman to protect her from this. So it's an inherent feature to want to be pure and chaste and be modest and have modesty. But yes, at some point if the society around you is pulling you in that direction, you will have to fight a battle. This is called mujahada. What does it mean? To understand mujahada means the women should treat this as their jihad. They should treat this as their jihad. That they should never give in to any unlawful desire or whispering. They should not accept the invitation of sins from here and there. And that's it. If they protect their chastity and modesty, don't accept invitations, they will be victorious in that jihad. Just like a man, if he's mujahid and he's victorious, so we used to call him ghazi. He's a uh, you know, conquering warrior. So just like that, a woman, girl, young woman who protects her chastity and modesty in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala, she's like a ghaziya, she's a mujahida, mujahida. She's a victorious conqueror, warrior over the battle of her nafs. It is very important, very important. And we should always remember that this is a stain. That once there's a stain cast on a person's haya, nothing slander, I'm saying sin, that a person, if they violate, they betray their chastity and purity and modesty, so this is one thing that can never be returned to a person. Never be returned to a person. Hmm? Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in Quran? So many mashayikh and mufassirun, they commented on this. That when Allah ta'ala mentioned the punishment of theft. That the man who steals and the woman who steals. Then you must cut the hands of both of them. Whether it's a man or woman, their hands should be cut. So in that verse, the mention first was of the man who steals, wasaliku, and then the woman who steals, wasalikatu. But the women should be scared because when it came to zina, Allah Ta'ala changed the order. Changed the order. Surah Nur, az-zaniyatu wa 
The woman who does zina and the man who does zina, fajlidu kulla wahidin minhuma. So even adding the word kul for taqeed, that uh, lash whipped each and every one from those two, mi'ata jilda, one hundred lashes. Hmm? Allah Akbar. So why that doesn't mean the blame lies equally on both. There's no doubt. Nowhere are we trying to suggest that the blame lies only in the woman. Blame lies equally in both, no doubt. But also no doubt Allah Ta'ala chose there when it came to the crime of theft to put the man first and here to put the woman first. And not just that, the contrast with that ayah of theft, generally in Quran, whenever Allah Ta'ala mentions male and female, the man is mentioned for wazakirin, wazakirat, all the places. Always the man, male form first, masculine form first, feminine form second. But here when it came to zina, it's a, it's a very noticeable contrast. A very noticeable deliberate act of kalamullah. To put the women, mention the feminine first, azani tu wazani. So yes, it does mean to some extent that if the woman herself can control, doesn't give herself leeway, doesn't give a chance to the men to take use of an opportunity, whether to invite her, to entice her, to cajole her, then a man cannot harm her chastity. Illa that criminal crime of zinab al-jabr. Another reason Mufassirin say is that the act of theft is against the manhood of a man that he should have been able to earn for himself. And the act of zina against the extra haya, because there's more haya on a woman. So that's why the mention of woman was made first in this ayah of zina. So the greatest thing then a woman should feel, the greatest thing in the world to protect is her haya. Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-haya'u iman. That your haya is your iman. So the spirit of sharia, and understand all of Islamic law, all of the rulings of fiqh must be understood from the passions and emotions and feelings of those ayat, verses of Quran and those hadith from the sunnah that cover that chapter of fiqh. So all of the discussions in fiqh about the dress of a woman must first be prefaced by chapters of discussion on the feelings of haya that Allah Ta'ala is trying to create in Qur'an and the importance of haya that Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave to Sunnah. Like in the language of Fuqaha, then we would say, if they would understand this concept of Tirbiya and Tazkiyah, Al-Aslu Fil-Bab, the real primary rule in the chapter concerning the dress of woman, Al-Aslu Fil-Babi Haya'un, is haya. It's not fatwa. It's haya. Because it's the greatest thing she must protect is her haya. And yes, so again, not to blame all the men, but the reality is that almost every non-mahra man, if he is able to perceive your beauty, he will cast a lustful glance at your beauty. The overwhelming majority of rare mahram men, if they get a chance to even glimpse your beauty, they will cast a lustful gaze at your beauty. Hmm? How many men, and this is, and we are in this field, 
So we can tell you with full force. How many men are they who have come to me and told me that they have trouble controlling their gaze when looking at Kaaba? Instead their gaze falls on the faces of the women making tawaf. Can you imagine? Kaaba is in range. Direct range. They are looking at Kaaba. And they can't even control their gaze that much that in the peripheral gaze, obviously men and women making tawaf. So they notice sometimes the beauty of the face of a woman making tawaf. Now at that moment, she's not acting beauty. She's not trying to be alluring. She doesn't have makeup on. She has no jewelry on. She's not looking towards him. She's making tawaf. Right? So the women say, no, but it wasn't, I didn't do anything. I wasn't trying to attract them. I wasn't wearing makeup. You're correct. You weren't trying to attract them. It wasn't your need to attract them. You weren't making makeup. You did nothing. Nothing. You only did one thing that your face was exposed. You're correct. You did nothing else. And this is their condition. Now, if the woman could accept this from me, if a woman accepts this from me, that a rare mahram man, rare mahram Muslim man, who even obviously has some love for Allah Ta'ala, that he showed up in Makkah Mukarramah, has love for Allah Ta'ala, that's why he's staring at Kaaba. Why is he staring at Kaaba? Because he has love for Allah Ta'ala. Even that rare mahram Muslim man who loves Allah Ta'ala enough to come to Makkah, and loves Allah Ta'ala enough to gaze and stare at Kaaba, even he is in danger that his gaze will wander towards me. Hmm? Then tell me, huh? Huh? is there any other, can there be any other situation? Hmm? Then the state of this man in the mall, or if you go to wedding, or if you go to function, or if you go to quote-unquote party, hmm? what will be his condition then? Now of course, now Zubillah, I don't want women to think all men are like that. It's not all men are like that. But I'm letting you know that for some men this feeling of desire is so overwhelming that they can't save themselves from looking, even at a place like that. Hmm? Again, nobody's saying it's the, fault, it's the fault of the man. But we also have to look at reality. The greatest thing, the wise mufti is the one who is aware of social reality. Not technicalities. <laughs> Ifta is not about theoretical technicality. It's about understanding social reality and mapping the wish and will and pleasure of Allah Ta'ala to that, that mapping that social reality to the will and wish and pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Once our Shaykh explained it in a beautiful way that just like when a lantern is burning the one has to put that glass on top of it to protect it from the gusts of wind Otherwise, even if one breeze of wind comes, it can snuff out that flame. Just like that, the woman should think that it is the lamp, the lantern of Mahaya, of my chastity is burning. And I must protect it from the winds, the winds of the gazes of Ghair Mehram. Hmm? Lest someday my honor and izzat be extinguished through a, a, a wind. Hmm? What does it mean? That, that lustful gaze cast upon me that attracts me back. The one that I notice. The one that I like. Allah Akbar Kabira.
Or Shaky once gave a story of a blind person. A blind person. What was that? That the blind person, he needed to fetch water. He needed to fetch water. So he went to the well, like how they do in the age, and he kept the container to fetch water upon his head. And with the other hand, he held a burning lamp. So those who looked at him, they were surprised and said, Look, you are blind. So this light doesn't help you in any way that you're carrying a lantern. You're blind. And you're traveling. You reach the well by your memory and your estimation. And you know this path and you go to the well. Just like you do in the daylight. It makes no, daytime, it makes no difference with nighttime. And the man said, yes, you're absolutely right, I'm blind. I don't need this light. But those who have eyes and will have vision, eyesight, and are walking, they will be better able to see me because of this lantern I'm carrying. This will save them from bumping into me. This will save them from bumping into me. This will save them from spilling their water container when they bump into me. And this will save me from me spilling my water container when they bump into me. So our shaykh said, exactly like that, a young woman should think that if I go out without my niqab and the ghair mehram sees me and he casts his lustful gaze on me, so people, his gaze will bump into me. And if he bump, his gaze bumps into me, then it, I might make, it might make me spill something. My haya might spill. And if his gaze bumps into me and if I notice that, if I become aware of that, then I will also bump into him. I metaphorically bump into him. Then his haya will spill and my haya will spill. Allah Akbar Kabira. Or if I meet someone due to in a shop or some cashier or some customer or talk on the phone with someone or in any way give them the slightest, slightest leeway, slightest gap to chat me up a little, to flirt with me a little. Hmm? then it will be a cause of embarrassment for me in the dunya, but also I will get the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I will have lost that battle of mine, which was my battle to preserve and keep my haya absolutely, purely, completely intact. The Umahatul Mu'mineen, in the Azwaj Muttaharat, the noble mothers of the believers and wives of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that when they used to sit in their sahin, in their open courtyard, to read their zikr and tilawat and make their ibadah, they would not keep their face towards the open side of the courtyard, rather they would keep it towards the wall. So that not even by a slightest mistake could any passerby even be able to see anything, were they to for some chance turn their face in their direction of the opening of the hujra, and so they wouldn't be able to see anything if they mistakenly cast a glance left or they saw anything with their peripheral vision. Another way you can imagine, they wouldn't sit facing the door lest maybe somebody open the door, some young boy open the door and just during the act of the door opening there may be a slight one, two seconds so they would make sure that the way we sit is always that our back is towards the opening of the doors. So let any door open, always our faces will be facing towards the wall, you need away from the door. A woman should simply feel this, that my haya is the most precious thing to me. If I lose this, then everything is lost. And the Prophet said this in Adith, that if you don't have haya, if al-ma'shitta, that then do whatever you want. Means that if you've lost your haya, it's like you've lost everything. Hmm? I've been looking at Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
He spent his whole life وسلم, telling people, don't do this, don't do that, it hurts, displeases Allah Don't do that, it will hurt your iman. Don't do that, I'm standing trying to save you, you're running from Jahannam. But when the person loses haya, if al-mashitta. Hmm? Now you just do whatever you want. Hmm? So you should be very careful. And again, not trying to blame all men, but they are a certain type of man certain type of man and they're not small in number either and they're opportunists and they're seeking they're looking they're seeking any woman who has even one sense that they can feel that maybe she's slightly receptive even if they feel she's not receptive they try to break down her walls to actually do that they will keep messaging they will keep talking they will find a way to romance and entice this is what they do so not even is it the wall there, they, they try to break down those walls. Allah Akbar. And now this fitna has become so much that it's young men, middle-aged men, even older men who are guilty of this. There are even men in their 50s and 60s and 70s who cannot control their lustful gaze. Sometimes it's father and son will both look at gaze with that woman. A woman might leave her home. She her intention is not to attract someone, but she doesn't wear niqab. She keeps her face exposed. She might pass the father and son. The son might cast a lustful gaze on her, and the father may also cast a lustful gaze on her at the same time. And if you remember last year also, I mentioned to you that where does the beauty of a woman lie? Where does the beauty of a woman lie? So let's ask the experts of beauty. Even Fik says that we must take into account the orfi'am. We should take into account what is muta'arif. We must take into account what is known. And what is considered, what is prevalently and widespread known. So all of the beauty industry, whether you call that cosmetics, whether you call that makeup, whether you call that fashion, whether you call that modeling agency, Everyone will tell you that the beauty of a woman lies in her face. Everyone. You ask modeling agency, why do you pick a woman? Her face. You ask cosmetics industry, what sells most? Facial cream. You ask makeup, where is the makeup going to go? Face. Hmm? You ask mothers, let's look at another orf. You ask mothers of the ummah, when you go to look at a daughter, a woman, a girl, daughter of someone else, and you're thinking whether you want to select her to marry your son, and you look at all the other characters, even if you're pious, and you follow the teachings of deen, so you look at her piety, you look at her character, you look at her family, you look at her personality, but Sunnah Nabi Karim Sallallahu also said to check her beauty, you ask that pious, practicing, hafiza, alama, dhakar, even waliya, salihah woman, when you look, and when you do amal on that sunnah, that you should assess the beauty of a woman, what do you look at? She will say her face. Hmm? You ask the young man, let's say he's hafiza, hafiz, he's alim, he's saleh, he's muttaqi, he knows it's sunnah, that my Nabi Karim told me, that if everything else is okay, then I must go once and look at the girl, to make sure that she is going to be sufficiently attractive to me, so that when I'm married, I will be sufficiently content with her. So this is sunnah, this is talim of deen. So in the most pure, proper, muttaki way, when he does it, what is it that he will look 
look at to see if she's sufficiently attractive to him, he will look at her face. So it's the urf of the West and the urf of the Ummah and the knowledge of everyone that beauty lies in the face. There's no exception to this. There's not even one modeling agency which will tell you I don't look at face. There's no one cosmetics industry which will say there's no need for facial cream. There's no makeup manufacturer would say there's no need for facial makeup. There's no mother will say that it's okay, there's no need for me to see the face of your daughter when considering for my son. And there's no prospective suitor will say that it's okay, I don't need to see the face of the girl. I will assess her beauty through some other way. There's no even one, one single exception. Hmm? So then, Hmm? Okay, you ask, you ask the boyfriends and girlfriends, you ask, what made you fall for her? He will also say, I fell for her face. I saw her face in the store. I saw her face at university. I saw her face. Hmm? So then, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to in the face of all of this, to try to counter all of this with technical terminology. Hmm? That technical terminology is correct in its own place. But can it displace all of this? Can it displace reality like that? It's a different type of iftar than that I was trained with. Allah knows best. Allah knows best. So here, the women... They must know that yes, and the women are very correct if they say this, that lowering the gaze is the man's job, so why do they look at us? 100% correct. But so what are you going to do? It's like, why do you lock the door? Not stealing is the person's job. To not steal is their job. Sorry, they will be punished. So then, you should not lock your doors. Your jewelry drawer which you lock, oh mashallah, What's more precious to you, your haya or your jewelry? Or that diamond ring, it will be, the house will be locked. The room in which the ring is will be locked. The closet in which the ring is will be locked. And the drawer in the closet will be locked. Or you put your ring behind four locks. You don't say it's the man's job not to be a thief. So if you can put your ring behind four locks so that the man, even if 1% of them are thieves, they don't even have a chance to steal your ring. And I'm telling you, far more than 1% of men have the sin of lust and you leave your face unlocked in front of them. Hmm? Okay, then look. What did Allah Ta'ala say? And you say, no, still they insist. The martyrs insist it's the job of the man to listen to Qur'an. Listen to Qur'an. First the verse about lowering gaze is for both men and women. Okay, but let's just say we take the men's side of that. So the men believers should lower their gaze. So is there any verse that tells Allah Ta'ala what the women should do? Listen to Qur'an. وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُنَّ مَتَاءً فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابِ So what? That if you ask them, if you ask them, then what must you do? You should ask them from behind the hijab. That is more pure for your hearts and closer to taqwa. That is more pure for your hearts and their hearts. So the word, if I remember, 
and our friends are telling us correctly, it's athal. It is more pure for your heart and their heart. Now the question is, is there any person who would want to say this, that Allah Ta'ala has told me in Quran what is more pure for me and more pure for them, more pure for both hearts, but I still choose not to do that. This is not, this is not the way, this is not the type of training we're supposed to give people. We don't want to create people who have this concept that I leave the athar, I leave the azka, I leave the atka, I leave that which is more pure, which is more chaste, which is more pure, which is more, more, more pious. Hmm? So this is Qur'an al-Kareem. This is Qur'an. And here, just to make it clear to the women, hijab in this verse does not mean khimar, head covering, headscarf. Hijab here means partition, curtain, some piece of fabric that veils your face from them. Now, in this instance, it means some hanging sheet, hanging curtain, hanging screen. But it means a piece of fabric that keeps them from seeing your face. This is what it means. Now, if you're at your home and they knock at your door, which is this situation, so then that piece of fabric may be hanging sheet, hanging curtain, hanging partition. And if you're outside, well, you will then have to take that hanging sheet, hanging partition with you. So if they ask you, oh, do you like this item or do you like that item? Would you like that orange or like that apple? Would you like that, mm, whatever it is, item? So they, they will ask you when you go in the market, you go in society. So then they should ask you, There must be some partition, screen, fabric between your face and them when they talk to you. This is the teaching of Quran. So the most important thing is for her to protect her haya and her chastity. And for the man also. Important to protect his haya and chastity. But again, today we are addressing you. Today we are addressing you. You know, even for example, at least for sure in Hanafi fiqh, that when you lower a woman's body into the grave, so it's written that even though she's completely covered, she's enshrouded, right? In the coffin. She's completely covered, enshrouded in the coffin. From head to toe, including face, completely covered, enshrouded in the coffin. However, it is said that when she is lowered in the grave, no mehram man should touch her. No non-mehram man should touch her. Only those men who were maharam, means her close relatives who would never have been able to marry her, only they should lower her into the grave. So then imagine, if when lowering into the grave, the sharia wants that she should never be allowed to be given into the hands of a non-mihram. So how is it possible that during her lifetime, she would accept her to allow herself to be given to the hand of a non-mihram? Hmm? So this is a very important topic, especially because of the times we live in, where this sinna, lewdness, immodesty, shamelessness is extremely widespread. And we live in societies where this is no longer viewed as a sin. They don't even view this as even something slightly unpreferable. It's normal for them. 14 year old girl, no problem. 15, 16, 17. They've really dropped the bar. And even in the West, 
nice, good, conservative Christians are also very worried about this. They write about this all the time. That we are in a crisis. A crisis of hayah. And then the way they dress and the way they walk around in the summers and the way they walk around in beaches. And they view that as normal. So then, if a person is living in societies and in communities and in in cultures like that, hmm? so haya is incredibly important. When haya leaves a woman, she should think she has been deprived of one of the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So she wants to protect her gaze, purify her heart, protect her own gaze, purify her own heart and protect her haya from those who are unable to protect their gaze and yet unable to purify their heart. You know, when a woman, she drives a car, mashallah, when she's learning to drive, so she drives so carefully. Why? He's driving carefully because maybe the car ahead might cause accident with me. Maybe the car behind may cause accident with me. So they drive very carefully. Very carefully. There she suspects everyone. Hmm? Yes? Maybe she drives that any passing driver huh, could have an accident with me. So just like that, you must protect the car of your haya, your chastity. Any passing man could have accident and bump into your haya. Hmm? So does a driver ever drive like that? That no, I'm heedless, I will drive. It's their duty to protect themselves from accident. Huh? I will drive however I want. No way. <laughs> A driver will protect themselves against accident. So an accident, look at this word, accident. Unintentional bumper, crash, touching. So then, if you present yourself from the unintentional accidents in driving, why don't you want to protect yourself from the unintentional accidents of ayah? Hmm? So now some specific guidelines for this. Number one, you must refrain from mixed gatherings. Mixed gathering means where there's people from both gender, men and women, and there is no emotional or physical hijab between them. means there's free mixing, free mingling. Hmm? Now a person might say, no, it was a conference. No, we were there for our profession. No, it was this, it was convention, it was this, it was that. You must not be in that mixed gathering, free mixing. If any, any university student, she were to ask us this question, I would say, you must sit in the absolute corner of the classroom, nowhere near any of the boys, and you must definitely wear niqab. No talking to the boy classmates, no partnering group projects. You, you can't. You have to be firm and steadfast. If you want that education, education cannot come at the cost of sharia, even at the cost of taqwa, even at the cost of tahara, even at the cost of your haya. None of the costs are acceptable. It's not that, okay, I can pay the cost of taqwa, I can pay the cost of athar, I can pay the cost of azka, as long as I don't violate the strict technical sharia. What type of way of life is that? It's a different Islam than the one our mishak and ulama taught me. That type of feeling and that type of attitude. Second, that sometimes there are some non-mehra men in your home. Like some people may live in extended family system or if they're not living in the house but there's a lot of family gatherings. Right? 
And so this is also a social phenomenon that first cousins get married. First cousins fall in love with each other. So keep going backward. First cousins get married. First cousins fall in love with each other. First cousins get attracted to each other because first cousin looked at the face of his first cousin. Believe me, that's where it started. First cousin saw the face of first cousin, therefore he got attracted to first cousin, therefore he fell for first cousin. Maybe ultimately he does get married to first cousin. But where did it begin? Hmm? So then the women must protect themselves also from that. Now I want to mention also, now not maybe so much here necessarily in Stanger, I don't know, but generally because other women are listening, sometimes you may have a woman who comes to deen on her own. What does it mean? Her family is not on deen. Her family hasn't come on deen. So her parents, many times, were very rigidly opposed her attempts to maintain haya. For example, if now she wants to start headscarf, then she wants to start cloak, means she wants to start khimar, means she wants to start jilbab, abaya, her parents will oppress her. Her family may even physically, we have had cases where parents have physically beat their daughters so that they wouldn't do this abaya and jilbab, and especially niqab. So then sometimes that girl wonders, what am I going to do? Am I going to be punished? Is Allah angry with me? So in your situation, you must do as much as you can, and then turn to Allah Ta'ala for help. Turn to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala for help. Try the best you can to avoid those cousins, to avoid those family gatherings. But if you are ever in a state that you are genuinely, truly majboor, compulsion, you are not guilty then for that which you are forced to do. So I'm saying this because if somebody is listening, I don't want you to feel sad. Your haya, you have to get as much as you can in your particular individual circumstance. Then make lots of istighfar to Allah Ta'ala, not because you deliberately did it in a guilty way, but your parents forcefully dragged you to that place, but still the negative effects came on you. But just like if a person goes and gets some radi- exposed to radiation, so they come home, they must take the treatment to clear themselves of the effects of that radiation. So if you were dragged by force into such a mixed gathering, into such a mixed gathering, then you must treat yourself. You must get treatment to free yourself of that cancer, spiritual cancer radiation that took place. So when you go home, you make istighfar. And then you make dua to Allah Ta'ala to rescue you. And over time, Allah Ta'ala will create makhraja. He will create a way out when you adopt this path of taqwa. So never be sad and despondent. Never give up. Never think, what's the point? What's the point then? No, no. There's always a point. You do as much as you can. Sometimes there are women whose husbands. We have cases like that also. Husbands don't let the wife wear niqab. Husbands say, I'll divorce you. Allah Akbar. Even half had case, husband has divorced. Even that case. But then she says, he's given me one divorce, now what am I supposed to do? Hmm? So again, here, do as much as you can. Do the niqab secretly. Do it when you go in public. Keep it in your purse and when you leave the home, put it on when he doesn't know. Do as much as you can. Do this is not hypocrisy. Don't think, what's the point? I wear niqab in the market, but I can't wear it at home when my husband's friends come. No, you wear it as much as you can. Allah Ta'ala will make a makhraj. He'll make a path for you to wear it as much as He wants you to. But He wants to see first that you want it. You must want it for yourself. Then Allah Ta'ala will want it for you. When you want it for yourself, you're a feeble creature. 
You can't always have the power to get what you want. But when Allah Ta'ala wants it for you, He's Allah Kulli Shayn Qadir. He has the power and He makes whatever He wants happen. He will ultimately make happen what He wants. Alright? But, and then I'm going to say, for those of you now, those of you listening from the other side, you should think that they're my fellow Muslim women. They want to wear niqab, their parents don't let them. They want to wear niqab, their husband doesn't let them. And I'm coming, let's say as an example, from a conservative Indian Gujarati background, where I could actually easily do it, and nobody would say anything, but I still choose not to do it anyway. Hmm? How sad is that? <laughs> How sad is that? You have no opposition? You have no parents who will force you. You have no husband who will beat you for this reason. Hmm? But you don't do it. Hmm? So then maybe Allah Ta'ala will test you through other ways. Maybe you will be tested through other ways. You didn't appreciate this ease that Allah Ta'ala has given you. Hmm? Then, another thing, then so we're talking about the gatherings, another thing is conversation. So women should not have any conversation of allure, entice, romance, softness with the ghair mahram men. There may be functional conversation. Like when you go into a shop, you have to deal with a shopkeeper. Maybe you're studying, you may have to talk or get questions from alam or mufti. Maybe if you study in school, university, you have a male teacher, you may ask a question about chemistry. That is functional, purposeful conversation. And even that must have boundary walls erected around it to make sure that also doesn't spill over. Doesn't spill over. So this type of talking in normal English is called flirting. Right? No chatting and flirting and those type of things. Because what happens, this is la taqrabu. This is what Allah is saying, don't go near. Because if you go near it, if you let yourself be attracted to the person you will be, if you let yourself be attracted to the personality of the person, you will end up being attracted to the body of the person. This is, this is natural. So one should be careful. One should be careful in that. And obviously, another major fitna, and this may be the last thing we do for today, but we have to speak about this, is the cell phone. You know, many, we told you last year also, our Hazrat he calls it hell phone. But does it mean that once somebody asked him, Sheikh, why do you call this hell phone? Does it mean everybody? He said, no. People do use it for legitimate purposes. People do use it even for deen. People can even use it for dawah. But, as he said, that there will be a lot of people who on the day of judgment will go to hell because of the things they use their cell phone for. Especially if it's one of those smartphones. Especially if it's a connected Wi-Fi, 3G, Wi-Fi connected smartphone. And for parents also, we would say that this concept of giving children cell phones, this is wrong. I was raised in a... I never had a cell phone. When I, I got my first cell phone when I was mm, 29 years old. 29. And this is on the karam and fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala because when we were in the, our teens and 20s, and even doctors and doctors had pager, beeper, later on they had cell phone. But it's amazing that if you're giving your children cell phones, then believe me, the reason I'm telling you my example and our whole generation's example is you don't need it. You can, people were picking up children from school for decades without having to have the cell phone to call them to come out. Everything was just fine. 
There was no, no deficiency in our life till 29. Everything can be done. All studies, all pick, all drop, all emergency situations, everything is perfectly doable without the cell phone. It's been being done for, for so long. But you know, so many parents are giving their children cell phones. Right? And when you give her a cell phone, you give her the opportunity to sin. You gave her an opportunity to commit every single sin. You put it right in her hand. You put it in her bedroom. You give it to her for 24 hours. 24 hours. Non-stop access. Unlimited access to sin is on that smartphone. It's crazy. Hmm? Really, if you ask me, the dream world, and may Allah Ta'ala bring that world to this ummah, the dream world would be that the woman, girl, boy would never have cell phone, and they get married 18, 19, 20, 21 for the women, and they get married, okay, let's say 20, 21, 22 for the men, and after marriage, they may see a cell phone for the first time in their life. If just that sentence could somehow be true, believe me, who see the cases, so much of the cases would be resolved, would have been prevented, would have been prevented, not resolved, would have been prevented, would never have happened in the first place. Then Allah SWT said in Quran, فَلَا تَخْضَعْنَا بِالْقَوْلِ That don't be sweetly soft in your speech with غير mihrab. Don't use that loving, soft, alluring, enticing tone. Now, the reason why this is being mentioned also, because different women obviously naturally have different kind of voices. So if Allah Ta'ala has blessed you with a voice that is beautiful, like some women are blessed with an appearance that is beautiful, a height that is beautiful, a voice that is beautiful, for you, you have to be actually extra careful that literally, if you have a very, very, very naturally sweet, soft, alluring tone and voice, you will have to artificially try to adjust that when you talk to Ghair Mehran. And mashallah, you do that when you talk to your elders and you will do that when you talk to maybe like a, if you get called into the principal's office like if you're a 13-14 year girl or the headmaster calls you. It happens naturally when you're under ro'ob, when you're in a state of fear. The sweetness goes away from the voice. So when you're in a state of fear of Allah Ta'ala, if you're in a state of fear of creation, the sweetness naturally leaves your voice. So then imagine when you're in the state of the fear of the Creator, Allah subhanahu ta'ala, it will leave your voice. And then whatever purposeful speech, legitimate speech you had to do, you will still do that and whatever function needed to be done will be done. You will still ask the chemistry question, you will still ask about this product versus that product, you can still bargain about the price, etc., Otherwise what happens, so Allah Ta'ala made it clear, فَيَتْمَأَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ That that person in whose heart, this is also I explaining clearly that these diseases are in the qalb, thus can this be done in the qalb, because if the maraz, if the sickness is in the qalb, so the medicine should be administered to the qalb. This is one of the many ayat our Masaik used to establish the incredible need for zikri qalbi. But khair, so tama. Whoever in their spiritual heart has the disease of tama. That's interesting. Tama means what? It doesn't literally mean lust. It means greed. It's a type of greed. It's a greed for lust. It, what does it mean? That person is insatiable lust. 
It means even the man might be married, but he still has greed. He still has a greedy lust, insatiable lust. That lust which is not sated within the halal, that person has tamam. So that means that I was warning the women that don't think, okay, just because they're married, or just because they're 40, or just because they're 60. Allahu hmm? Akbar. Now, if Allah Ta'ala said this, that's a very delicate matter, right? Because the shan of Sahaba is untouchable. But at the same time, in the first instance, in the first instance, this revelation is being told to Ubahat al-Mu'mineen. And who were the men who were talking to them then as Allah was instructed them behind the screen? That was some Sahaba. Must have been asking something. Did you get the water from the well today? Did you, what, something like that, right? I've come to inform you that your husband died today as shaheed in the battle of Uhud. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? Subhanallah. So there was some conversation going on. You understand. But in the first instance, the Allah, although we feel with the depth of our yaqeen that there was no Sahabi who was misdaq of this, there was no Sahabi who had this for any Sahabiya, but the potential and possibility of that is being mentioned in this verse of Quran. Then imagine if the Umahat, the Mu'maneen, are being trained by Allah Ta'ala that you should be careful because even possibly, potentially, hypothetically, a Sahabi could have some feeling for you were you to open up the softness and sweetness and, and of your speech with them. So then, who are the men of today? We are nothing compared to Sahaba. Forget ordinary men, all the ulama and awliya combined don't equal even one Sahaba. Hmm? So this is the situation, right? And this is why you see one of the fitness of the West, one of the sentences the West has taught the women is what? That, oh, you know, I only talk on the phone, I've never met him. We only talk on the phone, we've never actually met each other. We only talk on the phone, we've never actually seen each other. Hmm? So this only talk on the phone, this is a delusion. This is a deception. And once you keep talking on the phone, and you become more agreeable to talking on the phone, then believe me, you will start slipping. <laughs> then you will start saying inappropriate things to each other on the phone. And believe me, a large number of men, if there's a woman who's willing to talk to them on the phone, and then is willing to talk to them romantically on the phone, hmm? then the man will start saying inappropriate things on the phone. Inappropriate conversations will take place. Hmm? Then our Messiah used to explain that it's natural. It's a natural feeling that talking leads to the desire to see. And they give the example of Sayyidina Musa salam. Why? Because he was Kalimullah. To Kalimullah he means that Allah Ta'ala sent Kalam, Allah Ta'ala spoke to Musa salam. So what did he say in the Quran? Qala Rabbi. O Musa salam said that, O oh my Rabb, Adani Anzur Ilaik, that show yourself. Show yourself to me. Display yourself to me so that I may gaze upon you. Why? Because it was this true, pure, true, pure love for Allah Taala. But the point is this desire to see Allah Ta'ala came from hearing Allah Ta'ala. So some of the Mashaikh say that this is a natural thing that when you hear, you want to see. And believe me, 
If you keep talking on the phone, at one point that man is going to talk to you on the phone and say this, that, oh, I wish I could see you, oh, I wish I could meet you, oh, tell me what you look like. He will start, <laughs> this is how, he will start saying these things. Hmm? And then if you try to draw the line, it's finished, you can't draw the line. You see, once you let the dam loose and the water flows, there's no line that you can draw. The line was the wall, the dam, that was your hayat. You open that and you let the water out. You cannot go ten yards down and draw a line in the water. You can't draw lines in water. It's finished now. So what would you say? Let's say you try. You say, no, 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 no. We can't meet each other. We can't see each other. We can only talk on the phone. He'll keep saying it. You will keep saying it. Then what will happen? He'll say, okay, I think that then maybe you don't really like me. But you're already caught in this love affair. So you will say, no, 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 it's not that, it's not that. I just want to play safe, I don't want to do so much. I do like you, I do love you. You'll start saying all these things. Then he'll be very clever. He'll say, no, if you really liked me, then you understand. Look, I just want to see you. I won't do anything. Oh, but it's just... Huh? Huh? How much can I tell you? Even I'm getting embarrassed. Hmm? Huh? Love it, And if you make that mistake, the reason I want to, if you make that mistake, that okay, no, to convince him that you do like him, and to convince him you're going to wait for him to come to your parents, because he will tell you that story also, to convince him, no, no, and because you're trapped now, you poor sweet, you want him to marry you now. <laughs> you get happy that okay, finally somebody is coming, he's going to marry me, so you get happy, you give your heart away. So he tells you all the lines that you need to hear to make you give the heart away. So then you'll say, okay, we just meet, but just once, okay? Allah Akbar. If you do that, it's all over. It's all over. Allah Akbar Kabila. Even, you know, in our deen, even strictly speaking, even fantasizing, even imagining what somebody looks like is not allowed. Hmm? Didn't imagine. That deen that tells us as men that we should not try to imagine what the Nikabi woman's face looks like. We shouldn't even try to imagine what her face looks like. So how in the world could it allow us to look at her face? Hmm? I'm not supposed to think like that. So if anybody falls in these false relationships, so maybe that then we'll pick that up the next time. Because then part two is, okay, what happens if you got stuck in this already? Right? So up till now was all what we call the preventive. Trying to explain to you as, yes, I accept it as strongly, passionately as we could. Because believe me, when we tell you tomorrow, the curative is much harder than the preventive. Hmm? Not breaking the haya is easier. Fixing the haya when it's broken is very difficult. It's also not impossible. Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala gives hidayah, He has maghfra, He has rahmah, He has at-tawab. But it's a, oh, it's a process. Hmm? It's a process. So better that we try to do all of the effort on this side and we try to be safeguarding, careful, protective, extra caution, more caution, muhtaat, atka, athar, azka, awla, abdul, asan. We try to do all of that you will see tomorrow then, when we tell you, maybe we'll share with you a couple of cases of what happens when they get stuck in it. And then you realize that that is such a difficult, that's a trauma, that's a tragedy, that can lead to tragedy. 
to protect myself from that type of tragedy, I'd be willing to do anything. Hmm? I should be willing to do anything. Then may Allah Ta'ala accept May Allah Ta'ala accept each and every one of us men also to have haya. May He enable us to honor the beauty, the spiritual beauty of the Muslim woman. And may He protect us from ever trying to be interested or attracted or enticed to the physical beauty of a mahram. May He make all of us have honor and dignity. We accept we are guilty. We are sitting in a takaf in masjid saying that we are guilty. But may Allah Ta'ala also guide the women. May Allah also guide the women to enable them to preserve their haya, protect their haya, safeguard their haya, conceal their beauty, conceal their beauty, conceal their beauty, so that Allah will love them more. Like I explained to you last time also, that that woman who hides her beauty from creation, let me explain it first, that woman who shows her beauty to creation, the most that could happen is that the creation would stare and appreciate her beauty. That woman who hides her beauty from creation, the Creator will stare at her with love. You will lose the stares and glances of Ghair Mehram, and you will attract the gaze of Allah. You will attract Allah Ta'ala's love, and Allah Ta'ala's gaze will be attracted towards you. This is the greatest thing. This I tell you from the bottom of my heart is guaranteed if you wear niqab and cover your face from the creation of this world, you will attract the loving gaze of the mercy of Allah Ta'ala, your creator. Hmm? Now the creation of the world, when they glance at you, they may or may not feel lust. I accept it. They may or may not view you to be beautiful. But when Allah Ta'ala gazes at you because you did niqab, Allah Ta'ala will always find you beautiful. Hmm? So then, which way of life is better? Hmm? To have a lover like Allah Ta'ala gaze at me and always find me beautiful. Or have these creations and creatures gazing at me and some of them may find me beautiful and some of them may not. Hmm? It's your choice. It's your choice. May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq, may Allah Ta'ala give us hidayah. Inshallah we'll complete this tomorrow. And again we remind the women that tomorrow is the last ladies program irrespective of when, how long Ramadan will be because Friday is Jum'ah. So you make a special effort and tomorrow we'll finish up this topic and then we'll give you some concluding parting advice and make special dua for all of you. May Allah Ta'ala accept this from us. Wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillah bin alameen. Because time has run out, we'll just make a one minute muraqabah just so we get the barakah of the zikr of Allah Ta'ala and then we'll make short dua to close your eyes, bow your head, disconnect yourself from everything in the world. Make niyat that, Ya Rabb, I need your nur, I need your karam, I need your fazl, I need your gaze, I want your gaze to fall in my heart. You said in Quran, Fadkuruni al-kurkum, that if I made zikr of you, the gaze of your zikr would fall on me. So I make zikr of your own name, I make zikr of your ismizat, I make zikr of the ism azam Allah. I said, You cast your gaze on my heart, fill it with haya, strengthen it with haya. Purify it with haya, and I make near that my kalb, spiritual heart, is making zikr of your name, that my kalb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. 